It's a great morning to see everyone out. It's good to see your faces. I'm excited to dive into God's Word into a new year with you all this morning. Before that, I have a little uh, public service announcement here. Uh, our shepherds have allowed me to relabel the giving box in the back. Hold on, let me turn my microphone on here. Um, to relabel the giving box in the back. It's now called the Q&A box. Um, and so next to it, there are slips of paper that you can write your question on. And underneath that is your name, because sometimes you, I might have to ask you more if I don't understand the question. And uh, I, want, I want that to be available uh, for anybody who has questions about the Bible. Why? Well, this is an open pulpit. Uh, the truth has no fear of investigation. And so the questions that will be submitted, maybe there'll be a specific Q&A lesson, or maybe it'll be a sub-point in a particular lesson answering that question. I'll always let you know that, um, of whatever the Bible addresses. So kids, teens, adults, old people, if there are any, Put your questions in there if you have any. If paper's not your thing, text me, email me, and I'll make sure to have those recorded um, for future options and lessons. You know, oftentimes we give an invitation. Have you ever stopped and thought about why that is? Why do we give an invitation? Is it just a tradition? Is it just something good to do? Well, I'm actually a fan of, of invitations. Um, I always like to be invited to things. That's nice. But as far as here, giving an invitation, um, not just because it's a good tradition, but because every time God's Word is presented, God is striving with us, with our wills, to change us, to motivate us, to to conform us to the image of His dear Son. And, And so, when even if everybody in here is a Christian, should an invitation still be offered? I believe so. A call to action, a call to change, a call to love our Lord even more. Well, what if God came down here today and He gave an invitation? What would He say? What would he include in that invitation to motivate you to come to him? What would he say about himself? In 2024, is my hope that all of us by the end of this year can, can say that we have grown closer to our God. And, and I don't know of a better way to start the year than with God's invitation to him, to himself. And what he wants from me, what he wants from you. You turn in your uh, scriptures this morning to Isaiah 55. We're going to be in that text exclusively. I'll make references to some things. You can have my notes if you would like. But we're going to be in Isaiah 55 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me say three things. Number one, if no one has picked up a Bible before and and you're studying with them, this might be excuse me, if anyone, not no one, but if anyone has picked up a Bible before, this might be a great passage to start with because this is God's invitation to mankind. I I want you to come. And this is how how I'm appealing to you. Secondly, a caveat is that this is poetry. Now, if I was asked uh, um, 
everybody in the room, raise your hand if you love and read poetry. We probably would not have many hands. But we need to appreciate poetry. Why? Because God made it. God created poetry to give us an image to imprint on our hearts of him. You know, God could have said, um, God could have said, I love you. And he does. But in other passages, he says, I have bottled your tears. Or maybe God could have said, I forgive you. But in Micah, he says, he throws our sins into the depths of the sea. You see the poetry there, the the language there? So we need to appreciate the way God is communicating to us, even if poetry is not our thing. And thirdly, I just want to say, too, this is a new covenant prophecy. Okay, the language that is in here is going to be talking about the new covenant people. So I'm just going to assume that in some of the things I'll share with you. Um, But we can talk more about that if you have questions at some other time. So Isaiah 55, let's read 1 through 5 together. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Believe first that God would start with pleading with us. God calls everyone, but not just everyone. Everyone who what? In the passage, thirst and those who have no money. What do those two things have in common? Both are at ground zero. Both are absolutely destitute. They have a need, but no way to satisfy. And God essentially begs them, begs us, come, come to me. Buy wine and milk with no money, which that's rich people's food. That's exorbitant. That's luxurious food. Buy with no money. Wait, wait a second. Now this no money thing. Now we all know there's no such thing as free lunch. Come on, what's the catch? But he answers that issue, right? In the text. Your current lunch that you're spending all of your money on cannot satisfy you. Your current lunch is not really lunch. You know, this reminds me of that sick woman that comes to Jesus that had the blood flow of 12 years, and it says that she spent all that she had, and instead of growing better, she grew worse. God is essentially telling us, you will never come to me until you realize the ways of this life will not provide for you. 
And this is where the devil is so cunning. Have you ever, we talked a little bit about this in the Philippians class. Have you ever you know, made that, that, that new change in your life and you were excited about it and then you realized that you left empty? You realized two weeks later, you know, you're really the same person. What happened there? This is where the devil is so cunning in that we, we know this. We, when we read this passage, have you felt this before? We know this feeling, but here's where the devil gets us. Here's something else you can try, Austin. Here's something else you can try to fill your heart, to fill the void that is within you. Here's what you can try. And you know what you're doing? You're trading styrofoam bread for plastic bread. It's not bread. And eating things that aren't food will just make you more sick, will just make you more frustrated and more dead, lifeless. So God's pleading with us, give up your emptiness. You know, the passage that was read, why why does Jesus say, come, all you who are weary? Why does he say in John 7, come, you who are thirsty? Why does he say he's the bread of life? Why does at the very end of the Bible, John writes, the Spirit says, come and buy And drink water without cost. Why do Jesus and John say those things? Or God through John? Why? Because of Isaiah 55. This was God's plea all along. Come to me, you who are thirsty. And you who are eating things that will not fill you. So this is where Isaiah is going to stretch us with this poetry. How could somebody drink and eat? Historically, as far as I know, we do that through our mouths, right? But that's not what Isaiah says. This eating is going to be done with our ears. Do you see at the end of verse 2, in the middle of it there? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. The words that God will give you will give your soul abundance. It will give your soul life. God would beg of us, please listen to me alone. Not your conscience, it's faulty. Not your family, they'll mislead you. Not your favorite teacher, they will fail. Listen to me alone. I have the words of life. Does that sound familiar? Peter says that. The words that give life. To those who do not know God, God would be pleading, turn from your empty worldly chatter. Turn from the TED Talks. Turn from the pop psychology. Turn from the shamans and the gurus that you're going to listen to in your life. None of them will help you. The God who created life by His Word will sustain our life and fill our lives through His Word. What does Jesus say over and over in the Gospels? This parable of the sower starts this way. You remember? He who has ears, let him hear. 
But what about for the people of God? You know, this is what this was originally written to. It's written to Israel, who was not what they should have been. What about for us? Listen and eat. Still, delight yourself in abundance. Those of us who have accepted that invitation, who said, I want to be with you, God. Here's a reflection for us today, as God would be giving that invitation. Does that describe my life? Does it describe my life of abundance? You're going to hear me talk about this many times when we're together. How can we claim to be the people of God and walk around as dead as everybody else? God has given us abundant life in Jesus Christ. Not just forgiveness, life in Jesus. This was God's complaint to the first covenant people. Over and over again, you can find passages. One of them is Ezekiel 18, where he says, Why will you die, O Israel? Turn and live. I want you to live. Have life. Not just breathing. Not just go to work but have life in me. There have been times and places where the Word of God was rare, where the access to the Word of God was rare. Even in this country, in 1870, one in five, 20% of people were illiterate. They could not read the Word for themselves. But you and I know how to read. What's our excuse? We can binge watch or binge scroll on our phones for hours each week and struggle to pick up the Bible for five minutes. Is that life? Is that the life, brother and sister, that he's describing here? Are we really living? I think God would ask us this morning to those who were here, who had put on Christ, do you have the life I promised you? Diligently listen to me. Incline your, stretch your ear is the idea to me. Delight yourself in rich food. Taste and see I am good. I promised you life, but are you starving spiritually? Listen and live. Now verse 3 through 5, we'll come back to We'll group that together with the, the end of this, um, this chapter. Let's look at um, 6 through 9. 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, verse 6 is an encapsulation of grace. that God, Our God is not like the gods of the world. He is near. 
You don't have to call out to him and hope he hears or appease him with a child sacrifice or whatever as the gods of the um, ancient civilizations. No, he is near. As Paul would say in Athens, he says that he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Call upon him. Seek him. He can be found. He's here. Now it's temporary in that there is a time when he might not be. If your, if your um, life comes to an end, you won't have an opportunity for that. But call upon him. He is ready. Now did you notice the repeated words in that section 6-9? through nine? What was the repeated words over and over again? Did you see them? It was emphasizing thoughts, ways, thoughts, ways, thoughts, ways. Now, there are extreme exceptions to this. I understand that. But I want to give you, I want to share some advice my grandfather gave me once about helping somebody who is at the end of the rope that has made a mess of their life. This was the advice. You will never help them until they realize their best thinking got them to where they are. You'll never help them until you realize their best thinking got them to where they are. They have directed this car to the crash where they are. They have led it there. And isn't that true spiritually? as well, that will not be helped by our own devices. We each are far off from the mark that God would have us. Isaiah 53, two chapters before, says that, that um, we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way. We've left the Lord. And we talked about what He wanted earlier, what God wanted for us. And then I I said, what's the catch? Well, here's the catch right here. Here's the catch. We must change. Verse 7. We must change. What is that describing in verse 7? Let the wicked forsake his ways. That's repentance. God is asking each of us to repent. And we wonder why the first words of the gospel when John preaches is what? When Jesus preaches is what? Repent. Forsake your ways and your thoughts. But why repent? God, why should we repent? What would attract us with, what would he attract us with in order to get us to repent, to return to him? It's the one thing that no one on this earth can give you. It's the one thing that you cannot give yourself mercy and pardon. God is offering each of us mercy and pardon. The Pharisees ask a great question of Jesus. They say, Who can. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great question. The answer is nobody. We're, we're hopeless unless He says, 
I will pardon you. And He doesn't just pardon us. He abundantly, it says, pardons us. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. Well, let's look at verse 8 and 9. This is a very well-known verse. And unfortunately, it's used in about every possible way instead of what the immediate context is. What is the context of verse 8 and 9? The wicked's thoughts and ways in verse 7. So why does he say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts? Well, we need to adopt his thoughts. This is the whole thing he's trying to tell us, is hear me and you'll live. Don't listen to yourself. Listen to me. Take my thoughts. Adopt my ways. They're not going to be congruent with your ways. And so we must change the way we think through his word. Now that is the most challenging invitation that God could have ever asked us. He could have said, come to me. I will give you life. But you kind of need to you know, work five days a week at it, a couple hours a week, and do a couple things here. Maybe you need to go to this mountain and say a couple prayers. Instead he says, I want your mind. I want you to change your thoughts to my thoughts. How hard is that? What if I, would, would you be willing to take my thoughts as Austin? Do you want to live by my thoughts? Everything that you do tomorrow at work, you're going to have to call me and I'll have to let you know whether or not I think that would be a good idea or not a good idea. Would you like that? No, we love our own thoughts. We want our own thoughts. That's what is so challenging about this invitation. Take my thoughts. But maybe even more incredible to me is the immediate preceding verse. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, but what about at the end of verse 7? For he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. God does not act like we would. You give somebody the world, you give your life to somebody, and they turn around and trample the gifts that you've given, they spit in your face, they curse you, and they do whatever they want to do. Do you think you're going to say, I'll abundantly pardon, just come on back? Most of us, our nature would be, no. How dare you? But he says, my thoughts are not the way that we think humanly. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And with a just and righteous God, there is nothing that we could do to reconcile this situation. And in the same way that He would reconcile Himself to us would not be a thought either. We could not have dreamed what God would do. For scarcely 
for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 7 and 8. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When we come to God, He will give us the sure mercy that He's promised. God's way is higher and nobler than any thought that I could have. As Paul claims, as Paul begs us, please be imitators of our Father as beloved children, Ephesians 5.1. Be like Him in, his, in your thoughts. God's calling us to change, to be like Him. Well, let's look at 10 through 13. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please." And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Again, this is one of those verses that, and I've taught it before, that we, that we use in uh, verse 10 and 11 to emphasize the power of God's Word. You know, I may fail you as a teacher. I may not teach it accurately. I may, I may not teach it in the right way. Um, a person might be involved in lots of different groups that are not teaching right. But one thing is for sure. If they are seeking God's Word, they will come out of that. They will come through all the failures of men because God's Word will change them. So I agree with that. But what what are we talking about here? Why would He include that here in His invitation to us? Why would we listen to Him carefully? Why would we seek Him? Because His Word will stand. It is sure, and it is steadfast. And guess what? There really is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It really is going to be what I have told you. This is that wilderness picture that the prophets do very often. There's a wilderness that you are, and God changes you to a budding forest. And here, God is saying, listen, As you see, physically, water and snow come down and do their job and take care of the earth and create abundance of life. So my word is good. My word will give you life abundantly. Try me. That's what he's saying. Try me. It will accomplish what I've told you it will. And even in the next part, in verse 12, even in the context of them going out from Babylon, 
If I say I'm going to pardon you, I'll pardon you. If I say that you're going to leave Babylon one day, you will. My word is steadfast and sure. And what will he do? What will he do? In verse 12 and 13, the imagery is here them leaving Babylon. However, we know as you have looked at the history of Israel coming back from Babylon, does it really look like that? There's, there's some issues with just limiting it to that. We understand in the prophets that when they are talking about the exile coming out of Babylon, or excuse me, the return, the exodus coming out of Babylon, that exodus is, the new, is going to be shadowing the new exodus that's going to come in Christ. That He's going to bring us out of exile, bring us out of Egypt, of Babylon, of sin. And so here, this is this new covenant picture that when we turn to God, verse 12, we will go out with joy and be led out with peace. The whole world will be our oyster. In fact, Paul says, the whole world is yours in 1 Corinthians 3 to Christians. Everything is ours in the Lord. Do you like to hike? Do you like to go up to mountains and walk around? <laughs> or climb them? I enjoy that sometimes. I'm not the guy that gets the carabiner and all that stuff. But when you first walk up to a mountain, what do you think? You think, oh, just a mountain. Aren't they kind of intimidating, large, impressive, and difficult, especially if you're a traveler during this time? Mountains were not something you want to walk through. But here, instead of mountains shouting you down, you can't come up here. What do mountains do? They sing forth. They cheer you on. That's what we were talking about in Philippians. That Paul's mountains were no longer mountains. The actually that was going on. When I am in Christ, when I am in God... The things that are challenging, they just prove better who He is. They just encourage me more to be more faithful to Him. The mountains and hills will shout for us. And the joy and peace we have in Christ, the two things that everybody is looking for, they might not call it that, but they're looking for joy and they're looking for peace. That's the blessed assurance that He promises. And then you have that everlasting sign thing again, which connects us back to this everlasting covenant thing in, chapter, in verse 3 at the end there. Let's look at that again. Um, at the end of 3, He says, And I will make 
an everlasting covenant with you. Who's the you? The people who would come to me, that would listen and hear. I'll give an everlasting covenant. I will give the sure mercies of David. Maybe your translation says the loving kindness of David. That word is used over and over again of God's faithfulness to his people. The faithfulness that I give to David, I will give to you. Those who are listening, who will listen. Verse 4, indeed I've given him... As a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people, surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. What? Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Paul actually quotes this passage in Acts 13 in Antioch of Pisidia when he's preaching. And he preaches that this was fulfilled in Christ raising from the dead and giving the new covenant. Now, the witness in this section to the people and the leader of the nations is a reference to David. The glory that God gave to David, is in, it's in Psalm 18, that all nations would come to him. but he's going to give that to you who are thirsty. He's going to give that to you who are destitute. He will give you the mercy he gave David. And you will be a leader of the people. You will be a witness to the nations. You will be glorified. How will God do that? How will God glorify you? We already read this once today. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Peter said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. When people see how much God has changed me and given me life in this world, the glory that I have is from Him and returns back to Him. He has glorified you, Israel. He's glorified us if we obey Him and serve Him. They will want to come. Nations that I don't even know, people I don't even know at this point, will come and they'll want to eat and they'll want to drink and they'll want to be filled with whatever I'm drinking, whatever I'm eating. Do you know of stories like that? I know a a gospel preacher who's been preaching for 40 years. He grew up in a very disturbing home. And he just sat next to somebody one day at school and got to know him, became a best friend, started going over his house. And one of the things that he attributes to coming to the Lord was that when I went to their house, I saw what a family was supposed to be that I had never seen before in my life. 
that was a great witness to the nations, their godly home, that they loved each other, and they loved Jesus Christ. I'm sure you know of other stories like that too. That man's now in his 60s and has several faithful children. Well, that's it. Simple. That's the invitation of God. I'll back up for a second. He pleads with us. He asks us to change for Him and change to be like Him. He assures us what He said about giving us life, abundant life, abundant pardon, is going to happen if we take Him up on it. And lastly, He's going to give us glory, joy, peace that we couldn't find anywhere else. What are you going to do this morning? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and reading some of that, talking about some of that. That's, that's not your life. Can we help you? Lean upon your brothers and sisters. Lean upon who is God has blessed you with to strengthen you, to edify you. And that might not be done in a public way. Talk to your shepherds. Ask them how you can have life. Secondly, if you have not accepted this incredible invitation to come and to be filled, it is found today in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is asking you to come to Him, be baptized, wash away your sins, drink of the water of life freely. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?